I have an immense privilege, two privileges that I do not take for granted at all, ever. I remind myself of them daily, I truly do. And it is, uh, number one, uh, a church family that loves my family and I. And so thank you for the way in which you express uh, love to Lisa and my girls. And that is a privilege that I do not take for granted. You pray for us, you care for us. Um, and that puts wind in our sails to be able to continue on in the rigors and demands of life and ministry. And the second one is this, a church family who loves the word of God. And I know many pastors who sometimes go without both um, or one or the other. And so it is a privilege to know that this is a people, those of us that are here and aren't on holidays, that this is a people, they do too though, <laughs> um, who love the word of God. And with that, we come now to the Word of God, and I know that you treasure it, I know that you meditate upon it, and we've been in the summer thus far looking at the Psalms, and so I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to Psalm 103, Psalm 103, and so let's read all that together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place is acknowledged. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this precious time in your word now. Would you accomplish a great deal of this time that we spend now? 
We believe in the Holy Spirit of God and we pray, Lord, would he move among us? Would he give us a clarity of mind, a wisdom, an attentive heart and soul? As we look at this psalm, we so desperately need you to speak into our life each and every day. And there's something very precious about the Lord's day, something very realigning about it as we come now. And so I pray for help for myself and for everyone here because we so desperately need it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There is something so very special about a Sunday. Most of the world sleeps in on a Sunday. Sunday is seen as the day to lounge around, to go out to brunch, to sleep late and to rise slow. Sunday fun day is the motto of the world. Yet for the believer, while we still have fun on Sunday, Sunday is truly sanctified. It's truly set apart. It's truly holy. For it is on this day, the very first day of the week, that the church of Jesus Christ has always gathered corporately to devote themselves, we read in scripture, to sound doctrine, to both the preaching and the hearing of the inspired and inerrant word of God, to fellowshipping with one another, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and All of that makes up the components of what it means to truly do what we do on a Sunday morning, and that is to worship God, to worship God. When we rise on a Sunday, when we jump in our car and drive here and park the car and walk inside and we walk in and take a seat, we do all of that to get us here with the express purpose that we can worship. Worship. That is what the church is. A worship service. Where worshippers come to worship. Worship is joyful. It must be joyful. Worship is weighty. It must be weighty. Worship is serious. It must be serious. Worship is celebratory. We must celebrate. Worship is regular. It happens each and every Sunday. It happens each and every day, but it is special on the Lord's Day. This is Lord's Day worship. And if you survey the book of Acts, particularly chapter 2, when we read of the very components of the church, which are some of the components I mentioned just a a moment earlier, vital things like preaching, being under the preaching of the Word of God and praying and fellowshipping. We see those things, but included in Acts, in chapter 2, is a description of what corporate worship included, and that was, according to Acts chapter 2 verse 47, the praising of God. The praising of God. So worship includes the praising. We do that when we sing. We do that when we preach. We even do that when someone can't hold back any longer and lets out an amen or a hallelujah, of which I want to say to you, particularly those of you that have come up to me after Sunday, I really want to say amen sometimes, but it's so quiet. 
Of which I want to say to you, just as I remember one old preacher say to us back in our conservative evangelical church back in Melbourne, Brother Lawson, George Lawson, I think his name was, the Jardines will remember him. The church is similar to ours here and he used to get there and preach a wonderful message and say, listen, listen, talk to me because the charismatics don't have a copyright over amen. So if you feel compelled, as Dr. Alex Montoya would say, he'd say, talk to me now. Don't hold back. We are to praise God. That's a pivotal part of worship. Both, I might add, in the life, in all of life, when we're gathered here corporately and when we scatter among our community in the week, we are to praise God. And the psalm we're going to look at this morning is an undiluted psalm of praise with a very interesting dynamic to it. You see, most, if not all the other psalms, even as we've seen thus far in summer, are filled with prayer and lament and some praise. But Psalm 103 contains no prayer, no petition, no lament, no complaint, just praise. And yet, while that is certainly somewhat unique, what really makes this psalm have an interesting dynamic to it is that the praise here in Psalm 103 is not directed toward God, it is directed toward David himself. In order that David might praise God. Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 are often referred to as the two most prominent stars in the galaxy of the Psalter. Psalm 104 is praise directed toward God. You notice that if you look at Psalm 104, it's full of the personal pronouns you, referring to God. And yet Psalm 103 is praise about God filled with urgings from David toward himself to praise God. And that really serves as the illustration of two types of praise. We can proclaim in prayer a praise to God. O Lord, how kind you are, how sovereign and holy you are. Or we can say to one another, the Lord, he is so very kind in all his ways. He's done a great work in your life, hasn't he? He's done a great work in my life too. I think the latter is what we most need help with. But it's a little more challenging to praise God in public among peers. Shouldn't be. It should be easy among our brothers and sisters to praise God verbally. It ought to be something that we are eager to do, that we're zealous to do. Praise God. Isn't he so great? Let me tell you what the Lord did in our life. He's so good. Giving glory to him when things happen in your Life. We say those kind of things when we are gripped. When we're gripped by God and who He is and what He's done. We say those kind of things. And how it is that we get gripped by God, if you will, is when we are occupied with God. 
When we are occupied with God. And that really is what authentic worship is. As the title of the message this morning, authentic worship. And what authentic worship is, as has been well said, is being occupied with God. David wants to be occupied with God. He's preaching to himself here, be occupied with God. And so as a result, in Psalm 103, he exhorts himself to praise God. He sees the necessity of it and the worthiness of the object of it. My brothers and sisters, we must do the same. We must see the necessity of it and the worthiness of the object of our praise. The one true and living and loving God. I have three headings for you that I want to give you up front. If you're here last Sunday, I didn't give them to you up front. I was trying to mix it up a little bit. But here they are up front. We'll see in verses 1 and 2, number 1, resolving to praise. And then we'll see in verses 3 all the way through 19, which will somewhat jet tour through. We'll see reasons to praise. In verses 3 through 19. And then lastly, we'll see rallying praise in verse 20 to 22. You really could preach an entire summer in Psalm 103. And so I won't do the entire Psalm justice this morning, but I trust we will be blessed. And what I am excited about is that you and I leaving here this morning with a greater view who God is and a greater desire and eagerness to praise him. Because as the people of God, we have much to praise God over. And so let's allow this psalm that we so desperately need to ignite in our hearts and therefore ignite our mouths to live devoted to giving praise where praise is due. And that is certainly, is it not, upon the one true and living God who is so very merciful and so incredibly kind. And so number one, we'll see a resolving to praise. Look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. The word bless there denotes the idea of vocalizing one's affection and gratitude. Speaking with thankfulness about God. Speaking from a heart that loves and treasures God in his fullness as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And notice here again that somewhat unique dynamic I mentioned just a moment ago. David is calling upon himself to praise God. David exhorting is exhorting his very own soul to be about the holy activity of praising God. God. Some psalms are directed toward others. Some psalms are directed toward God. This psalm is directed by David to David. Why? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. He wants to shake off the apathy and he wants to begin to do that which he knows his very soul was made to do, to verbally praise God. And David is seeking to do that first by preaching the truths of God and the gospel, really, to himself. And there is a lesson in that for us, too. 
We need to daily preach the truth to our own hearts and to our own soul of who God is and be wrapped up and be occupied in God. Amen. Amen. The reference to soul here is is simply to describe all that a person is. That, that, that's what the word soul is describing. It's not something incredibly mystical. It's using to describe the heart, the mind, the will, the emotions. That's what is also meant by the words there, all that is within me. My heart, my mind, my will, my volition, my emotions. And by penning these words, David is fueling the fire within himself. And note that he is not doing so by some type of navel gazing or some mystical mindfulness exercise that calls you to empty your mind. The world's all about that these days, mindfulness. And they, they do go on retreats and all this kind of stuff and do that. Well, which calls you to just empty your mind and then you'll be fine. No, 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 no. We fill our minds. And that's what David is doing here by filling his mind with God, which then will ignite his heart, which then will spark the mouth. And so if the mouth isn't praising, it's because the heart isn't occupied. And we'll look at the ramifications of this, and they're pretty significant as we go along. This is what we must do, both in good times and in bad times. And just this week, I received a call from a person out of town who I've never met. But they listen to the sermons online. And this individual suffers with bouts of depression. And they asked me what passages could be helpful. And laid right before me when I was on the phone was this psalm, Psalm 103. And so I walked through it with them. And you know... We will face hardship and heartache. No Christian is immune from a time of gloominess, seasons of being downcast, times of despairing in our souls. David wasn't free from such a thing either. The other psalmists weren't either. The author of Psalm 42 wrote in Psalm 42 verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? And then said this, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. So there is this switching of momentum that takes place. And David is doing that here in Psalm 103, where he models for us that we need to Instead of being dragged down, we need this switching of momentum to take place where we then rise from despair, rise from a negative disposition where we're gripped with this pessimistic mindset all the time and pour into our minds and in our memories all that God is and all that He has done. And that's what comes next in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Before we survey these benefits, have you ever had the experience? I know I have. Lisa will tell you I've had it many times. Walking into a room or a garage and being like, why am I, what did I come here for? Why, why am I here? I know you've had that too. Don't laugh too hard. 
You simply can't remember why you went there, right? And then you remember. We're prone to forgetting things, aren't we? But when we walk into a room or a garage or wherever it might be, it might be and we can't remember why we went there, but it was to grab the keys or a box or whatever, that kind of forgetting does not compare to forgetting all that God has done for us, for you and for me. And when you think about it, the fact that there is even the mention here of forget none of his benefits of what God has done, does it not show just how prevalent sin is in our life? How bent we are to be self-centered and self-focused and selfish? Because I want you to know that forgetting your keys or whatever may come down to being absent-minded. But forgetting what God has done for you and I is much more than that. And let me show you. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We can't just simply read the word forget none of his benefits like it's forgetting the keys. No, no, it is much more than that when you and I forget his benefits. Deuteronomy chapter 8, look at verse 12. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, so everything's good. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, everything's real good. And when your silver and gold multiply, things are really, really good. And all that you have multiplies, things are incredibly, astoundingly good now. Look at verse 14. Then your heart will become proud. And you will, what? Forget. Not the car keys, but the Lord. You will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, listen as I read Second Chronicles 32, verses 24 to 25. It says this. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received. Because his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and on Judah and Jerusalem. You see, so when we talk about a lack of praise, verbally coming forth from our mouth, both toward God and toward others, we mustn't think of it as something so slight as simply forgetting and being absent-minded. It is actually sinful pride. Stings, eh? It's a lack of resolving to praise like David is doing here. It is anchored in sinful pride. And you and I, you and I, must repent of it. And pluck it out. We must not be silent. You see, it may not be culturally 
norm, normative to praise God verbally, but it sure is biblical. Our American brothers and sisters don't struggle with this as much as we Anzacs. There's a special form of spiritual sinful pride that we need to deal with and not allow culture to determine our life, but allow the Bible. Bible trumps culture every time. And so just like David is resolved in preaching this to himself, you and I must preach this to ourselves. We must resolve to verbally express praise to God. I read this week in a recent article about a church in North Carolina that, quote, sent a mission team to a leper colony on the Caribbean island of Tobago, Trinidad and Tobago. The team there met a lot of sad patients afflicted with leprosy, obviously, and one memorable experience was a worship service they held in a little chapel there. The lepers all came in and took their seats on the pews and the mission team led them in hymns and the pastor was there and the pastor of the group noticed there was a leper on the very back row who was facing the opposite direction the whole time, facing away. And the pastor announced, we have one more time for one more hymn. Does anyone have a favorite? And about this time, that leprous lady on the back row turned around for the very first time and faced the song leader. And the pastor recalls that it was the most hideous sight that he had ever seen in a human. Due to the leprosy, she had no nose or or no lips. When she raised her arm in the air, it was just a short stub. She had no hand. And this leprous lady said, Could we please sing, count your many blessings? And it was at that point, the whole mission team and the pastor experienced something that they recall they had never experienced before. Here was a lady with relatively nothing to be thankful for, asking to sing, count your many blessings. And at first they were so struck, the account says, that they couldn't even sing But when they sang, they sang it with new meaning. What did they sing? When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your... and And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your... Blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. If a leprous lady on the island of Tobago has had her favorite song, Count Your Many Blessings, if she's requested that, how much more should we not just sing the song, but do what it says? End quote. The author of that hymn is a man by the name of Johnson Oatman Jr. And he penned that song from this very psalm, Psalm 103. So we see here, so we see here first that David is making his aim to shake off the apathy and the lethargy that he has and to rise up and, 
out of a time of downcast gloom by resolving to praise God. He's preaching the truths to his to himself. And at the heartbeat we've seen a lack of verbal praise coming forth from our lips is the sinful pride of forgetting, not in an intellectual sense, but in a worship sense, all that God has done for us and filling our hearts with all that he has done. Both our minds and our memories, let us not forget his benefits. And to help us with that, we must now survey those benefits. And I want to show you heading number two, reasons to praise God. And we'll walk through these. The most undiluted portion of them is in the first five verses and we'll spend most of our time there and then we'll go through the rest before we pick up on this rallying praise at the end. But reasons to praise, verses 3 through 18. Here is what we forget. Here is what we are not occupied with. Here is what authentic worship is. Being filled with adoration for the many blessings we receive from the Lord. We see there in verse 3, number 1, the forgiveness of sin and spiritual healing. Who pardons all your iniquities and who heals all your diseases. It's the first benefit. That's the top of the list, if you will. In reasons to praise God. It is that because of Him and because of His love toward us, we are forgiven of our sin and healed of all our spiritual melodies. And David here is drawing a picture of sin as this deadly disease. Not only of one to be forgiven of, but one to be cleansed of. And sadly, so very sadly, this verse is used, among others, to teach some type of prosperity gospel where they say God wants you to be wealthy and healthy. But that is not what this is teaching. I mean, if this was the case, if that reality was the case, we would believe in Jesus Christ and then be healed of all our sickness. But you and I know that that is not the case. Many people get saved and take that same ailment all the way into glory. What verse 3 is teaching is that we should always praise God with a resounding praise and we should always resolve to praise that our sins are forgiven and that our spiritually dead state has been remedied. How? Well, because our heart has been, that was spiritually dead, has been replaced with a new heart that no longer lives for sin, but for God. David himself wrote in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5, how blessed is he who is, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David then goes on and says this, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then he says this, and you forgave all my sin. So praise God for the forgiveness of our sin. 
And the forgiveness of our sin comes only through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross and his resurrection. Look over at verse 12 of Psalm 103. Look forward there with me. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. I want you to know that I am so very thankful the psalmist said east and west here and not north and south. Think about it. If you head east, you can just always keep going east. And if you head west, you can just always keep going west. But if you go north, eventually you're going to have to go south. Right? That going north has a limitation on it. But east and west has no limitation. It is infinite. And that's what David's saying here. All our sins are gone. There's no limitation on what sins are forgiven or not. All of them. There's no limitation. There are not sins that remain unforgiven. There is full and comprehensive forgiveness that is ours when we put our faith, a repentant faith in Jesus Christ and trust in Him for the salvation of our sins. All sins. Praise the Lord. All our past All our present, all our future sins are forgiven because of the Son of God who endured the penalty for them on the cross and He cried out, it is finished. Number two, we see there next, the benefit, a resurrection and a crown. Verse four, who redeems your life from the pit and who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. What this is saying here, it's, the word redeemed is better understood rescued. It is God who has rescued us from the grave. That's what David is saying here. That, that praise God that death is not our end. The grave is not the end. We will be, and this is what he's conveying here, we will be resurrected unto eternal life. Rescued from the pit. David himself expounded On this very thing in Psalm 16 verses 9 through 11, he said, Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My flesh also will be, will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. And so we praise God for eternal life. God has not simply given us the forgiveness of sin. No, but He's granted us eternal life. It's not that those just the slate is wiped clean. No, we will live for eternity. We did not do a thing, I want you to understand, to escape the pit. God alone did that. We can do nothing to claw our way out. He pulls us out. He rescues us from the grave and from the grip of death and grants us resurrection of life. Praiseworthy. Psalm 49 verse 7 to 9 says, No man can by any means rescue his brother 
or to give God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly. And he should cease trying. That he should live on eternally. That he will not undergo decay. Well, more than just being rescued, we see there at the end of verse 4 that we have been crowned. That is to say, we've been coronated into the family. We've been made heirs of His love. The word there, who crowns you with loving kindness, it's that word again, hesed. You know, with the word hesed, translators don't even know what to do with it. That's why they take two words and smash them together and make one. They made up a word here, loving kindness. It's not a word normal. These guys have made this word, loving kindness, because they can't translate it in the English. It's so deep. It's so rich. They smash two words together to, to still not even be able to convey the depth of what this means it's a deep, loyal, unconditional love that we are crowned with, that is bestowed upon us. Our lives are made all the more rich because of this love. And you see next, because of this compassion crowned upon us. Number three, the next we see there in verse five, another benefit is that we are, we are by Him, by a benefit of Him is that we are satisfied and renewed, verse five, who satisfies your years, it says there, with good things. The word years, if your translation says that, it's better rendered desires. God fills our life with good things. We aren't simply rescued. We aren't simply redeemed. We aren't simply crowned and then left just to flounder. No, he pours out good things upon us that we might learn to see that every good thing comes from him, from whom there is no variation and shadow of shifting. As James tells us, and if you stop and think about it, you can literally flood your mind and your memory with so many things, so many good things that God has poured into your life. Forget none of His benefits. It's sinful pride. We have many reasons to verbally praise God, and yet so often we don't. When we do, look what happens. End of verse 5. Our youth is renewed like the eagle. And here is a lesson again for us this morning. We soar up. We soar up and out of all depression, of a season of being downcast and deeply discouraged when we resolve to praise God and fill our minds and our hearts with His benefits. We rise up. Like an eagle. In verse, verses 6 through 11, David goes on to speak specifically about God's dealing with Israel and moves into really the character of God, what God is like. And so when you survey those, we can praise God that He is slow to anger, that He is abounding with compassion. There's praiseworthy principles and truths that we can see in there for us today. When it says there in verse 7 that he has made his ways known to Moses. To Moses. Well, we can draw from that 
and be encouraged by that, that the same God who gave Moses the clarity to get out of the wilderness wanderings is the same God who can deliver us out of our own confusing and perplexing predicaments. Praise God. We can praise God in verse 10 because just like he didn't deal with Israel according to their sins, their abundant sins, so too he shows us mercy and doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Look at the end of verse 11. So great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. That is, those who are in reverential awe of him. That that fear, that reverential awe, leads them to obey him, to adore and obey him. I want you to note that this lavishing of forgiveness and love and these incredible benefits are not wholesale. That is, it is not without condition. God doesn't believe in justification by death. What do I mean by that? That all you need to simply do to stand right before God and spend eternity in heaven is to die. God doesn't believe in that. Heretics the world over believe in that, but God doesn't believe in that. No, He believes in showering blessing and benefit upon a very strict category of people. Look at verse 17. The loving kindness of the Lord, all those benefits and blessings and the character of God, all summed up, it's from everlasting to everlasting, on those who fear Him. Verse 18. To those who keep His covenant and remember His precepts, His ways to do them. You are either crowned and coronated and part of the family or you are cursed and excluded from the family. You are either a child of God or a child of the devil, Jesus said. You are either, you either fear God, which means you bow in humility before Him or you reject God. You either fear him or reject him. And those, and for those who fear him, they obey him. And that obedience is expressed primarily in the believing in his son, Jesus Christ, and turning away from your sin and putting your faith in him. For those who do that, there is this loyal, deep, unconditional, indescribable love. For those who don't, abject terror. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You remember when Mary, Jesus' mother, visited Elizabeth? They, were, they both rejoiced, right? Both were pregnant. 
and baby John leapt for joy in Elizabeth's womb. Well, do you remember what Mary did after that? It's called the Magnificat. It models for us verbal praise. And it models for us who receives these blessings. She said in Luke chapter 1 verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. She vocally said, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked at me with favor on the humble state of His servant. From now all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy, she says, extends to those who fear Him. You see, there is mercy only for those who fear God and there is only mercy on this side of the grave. And I just want to say to you that if you have not yet bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, you must. You must come before the one who laid down his own life out of his love, who hung upon that cross for three days and then was buried, but then who rose again, that if you turn away from your sin and trust in Him, you will be forgiven. He lived a perfect sinless life so that you can be clothed with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you turn away from your sin and believe in Him, these benefits and the benefactor are yours. In verse 19, we see the bedrock of all praise, really the pillow of all comfort that we can lay our head on at night. Be comforted by this. Look at verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. (laughs) What benefits from a truly epic benefactor? So we've seen David resolve to praise God by preaching to himself. You and I must do that. We've seen the praiseworthy benefits that we are not to sinfully, pridefully forget. And now the psalm concludes with a rallying praise. A rallying praise in verses 20 to 22. It's here that David throws a praise party of sorts and everyone's invited. He says, bless the Lord, verse 20, all you angels. Bless the Lord, verse 21, all you his hosts. Verse 22, you works of his, all of them. There's this rallying of all of creation to praise God. What a privilege it is to be invited to join the universe in praising God. This is the outcome of this resolving to praise. David moves beyond just praising the things on earth, but also he goes up into the heavens now. And because God is sovereign over all that his throne is established upon in the highest of heavens, everywhere should praise him. We see here, do we not, that individual praise leads to corporate praise that praise is passed on from one to the other, that if you and I begin to verbally praise God, we might encourage and stir up our brethren to praise God too. And then notice that David closes this psalm with the same exhortation to his own soul that he so desperately needs and that you and I so desperately need. He says, praise, he says, bless the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. Another exhortation to his own soul, bookended 
This psalm, bookended in between all the benefits, is the preaching of the riches of God to himself. Be about that. Life is hard. Life is tough. Life can be very lonely. Preach these truths to yourself and you will rise up like an eagle. And you'll be an encouragement to others. One of the young folk from our church publicly praised God this week. And let me read it to you. Every morning I wake up blessed. I'm blessed with every breath and moment God has given me. I'm blessed by those he has put in my life to help me. To help me grow in my relationship with him. I have amazing friends who are a big blessing to me. And most of all I'm blessed that he is that he gave his one and only son to die for my sins. And I know no matter how much drama, loss, betrayal that is in my life, or how much pain my body may be in, I know that God is always watching over me. It's one of the young folk from our church. Let's praise God. And let's pray. Father, we come before you and just rejoice in the time we've had. Lord, you bless us by your grace with with this time where we can be free from the distractions of the world and distractions of our life and the, the difficulties and challenges. And so we just want to say thank you even for that grace. But Lord, we also want to say thank you for this psalm. Lord, your, your care is over all your works. And Lord, we are your workmanship by your grace. Created to do good works and we want to be found to be doing good works of praising you. Forgive us, Father, for our sinful pride where we forget these benefits. Where we allow other things to consume our mind, but not these things. May we be a people that are pleasing to you. And may this time here be so very pivotal in the life of our church family. We say thank you in Christ's name. Amen.